Network, where the truth is relative. All truths are equal, yet some truths are more equal than others. Congratulations, you found the right truths. This is TNN, the Truth News Network, and for your daily dose of fact, here's Dan Newman. Oh goodness! Oh my goodness! Hello, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. I know we had a little delay there, but please bear with us because we are way, way, way far away from you. We are actually, right now, we're in Israel and uh, spent the day seeing some of the most amazing sights, getting the most unbelievable historical perspective of everything that's in Israel that is religiously related. And it's about Jesus. It's about his life. I'm a Christian, and I believe strongly in learning as much as we possibly can learn about Christianity. So let me tell you what we're going to do. I have a lot to talk to you about today. There's so many things going on back in the U.S. and around the world that are important, and we don't want you to miss them. And so, as always, we have these audio bites that we pull down that are important things that are being said by important people. Things about we wanting you to know because they're things like this show is all about. Finding facts. Finding facts. We found some more facts today. Listen, folks, I'm 69 years old. In many civilizations in the past, nobody even ever dreamed or thought about growing to be 69 years old. It didn't happen. And today, except for you youngsters out there, today, when you look at me, my beard is a little white, and I've been bald for, gosh, 30 years, so that wouldn't make any difference. But you look, we look when we're young. We look at old people that aren't really old. When I was young, I thought 50 years old was ancient. And when I hit 50, I thought 70 was ancient. (laughs) In July, I'm going to hit 70, but I'm not going to be ancient. I'm going to tell you some personal things. We're going to do this show today. We'll be here Monday, Tuesday. We're going to spend time with you. And what we're going to do is relate things of today to world history things. Now think about that for a minute. You know, the world existed a long time before you and me. There were a lot of things that happened in other parts of the world, including especially right here in Israel, that are very important to me and you. And we can't take those things for granted. We just cannot afford to do it. And yeah, there are a lot of dirty things happening in the world, a lot of bad things. You're going to hear about a few of them. We're going to put it in perspective. I'm going to give you my perspective in Israel today. Now, let me just tell you this. There's a big, big, big thing happened today over here. 
and you're going to hear all about it. And I thought it would be good, and this song title is going to give you a little hint about what the day is about. It's Stephen Curtis Chapman, and the song is called Dive In. Dive In. Think about that. The long-awaited rains have fallen hard upon the thirsty ground. I carved the way to where the wild and rushing river can be found. And like the rains, I have been carried here to where the river flows. Yeah. My heart is racing and my knees are weak as I walk to the edge. I know there is no turning back once my feet have left the ledge. Rush. I hear a voice it's telling me it's time to take the leap of faith. So here I go. I'm diving in. I'm going deep. Head over my head. I wanna be caught in the rush. Lost in the flow. Head over my head. I wanna go. The river's deep. The river's wide. The river's wider than the light. So take a swim. I'm diving in. I'm diving in. I'm Why it relates to what's going on over here right now in Israel 
is that today today I was baptized in the Jordan River. Now, if you're not a Christian, that may be no big deal. But if you're a Christian, it's very symbolic because marking the very beginning of Jesus being the Son of God and the earth hearing about it, he was 30 years old. He was just a 30-year-old guy. All along, though, he was the Son of God that was sent to earth by his father to live a life three and a half years at least, but lived that life showing God to the world because people had um, people had gotten a little out of hand. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so Jesus began his ministry. It was like he was going to announce, I'm about to start my ministry, when his cousin, his first cousin, John the Baptist, who was a preacher, and of course, Baptist churches, Baptist churches all around the world. He recognized his cousin that day for the first time was the Son of God when he baptized him in the Jordan River. And of course, if you know the story, when Jesus came up out of the water, God spoke from the heavens and said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Today, my pastor and my older brother, Denny Duron, baptized me, his little brother, in the Jordan River. And it started something new for me. Let me just say this for all of you listening in. We all get to places in our life where circumstances, they're just not what we want them to be. And there are circumstances that have caused us to look down on ourselves, tell ourselves, I'm not worthy. Look what I did, or look what I didn't do, or look what I said, and look what I'm doing with my life. What and who am I? A place of reflection is a good place to go every now and then. In fact, it's a good place to go periodically because we all want to be doing the right stuff. We want to be walking the right path in our lives. We want to be with the right people. And how do we do that? It, it, it happens in communication with God through prayer. He told us that. And I'm going to make a confession. I want you to know I'm a Christian, a born-again Christian, have been for many, many years. Not in the ministry, I have a ministry of helps, and I exercise that every day in my life. And so finding the right place in your life means being comfortable with yourself because you're doing what God wants you to do. How do you find that? You pray. We were promised God would hear us. And you know what? When we ask him for something, if you go back and wait and listen, you're going to get an answer every time. Now, sometimes you don't get an answer is your answer. But always in my lifetime, 
when I was honest, when I was sincere, when I was seeking, I got an answer that I could tell you. This came from God. And so when I came up out of the water in the Jordan River, it was an amazing sensation because I was following in the path of Jesus. And when he was baptized and came up out of the water, a new thing started that day in his life. So I'm not saying that you have to get baptized in the Jordan River. I was baptized when I was young. I'm following the biblical principles by doing that, and it changed my life when I got baptized the first time. But this time, oh my goodness, I got to tell you, it was life-changing for me. Yeah, I was 69 years old <laughs> and life-changing. How could that ever happen? Well, while you slept, we were up in Israel. And they were up in other parts of the world. And a lot of things happened already today. There will be more things that will happen in your day. But I want to touch base with you about a few things, the important things that are happening. And we're in an environment now politically around our world and socially around our world. We're, we're so uncertain about everything. We're told stuff that we sense when we hear it. It's not true. I'll give you a couple of examples. You remember the, all the hoo-ha about COVID-19. It started in January of 1920, uh, 1920, listen to me, of 2020, in January of 2020. That's when the COVID-19 pandemic, which it wasn't a pandemic then, but that's when it came to the United States. Dr. Anthony Fauci was immediately called in to be the anointed one to head it up for the Trump administration He's an immunologist. Um, he's a virologist. Long time. He's been around for a long time. If you did not listen to yesterday's interview with Dr. Judy Mikovits, it took up the whole show, and it did for a reason. I recorded that the day before we left to come to Israel, which was yesterday. And I got a chance to listen to a little bit of it. I'd heard it many times. It happened. I interviewed Dr. Judy Mikovits, and if you listen to it, you'll find out what that was all about, who she is. She is more of an expert on virology than is Tony Fauci, Dr. Fauci. And they work together. She knows him. And in June of 2020, this is four months into our experience with COVID-19, she came on the show. And if you listen, you'll hear her on June 20th, 2020, tell you and me everything, everything that was going to happen in the pandemic on the medical side. You know exactly what I'm talking about. How much information was shoved down our throats from the experts, Dr. Deborah Burks, Tony Fauci himself and others from the White House. We had to take it as this is the stuff because it was coming from the White House. And Tony Fauci was anointed to be the virologist of the world. In fact, when all of the consternation began and 
After all, he told us that we found out all along the way wasn't true. When he was confronted with it one time, he said, you got to follow the science. And somebody said, well, Dr. Fauci, you told us this, 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 and this, and it's not lining up with the science. He said these words, I am the science. And so we found out then that particular government official about that very important thing, very special problem for millions of people here in the United States and millions more around the world. We found out the experts weren't really experts. And so let's switch gears real quickly. What is the biggest, scariest thing going on in the world and our lives now? It's happening over in Europe. It's the stinking Russia invasion of Ukraine. Now, there are a thousand different things about it that we could talk about today. But what I want to talk to you about is the money. The money. The United States has now given to Ukraine in official support to help them through their war against Russia. At least $110 billion, billion with a B, dollars. Now, there is massive, massive consternation from people, Congress, senators, congressmen, really getting worried about the money. Where's the money really going? How much of it is getting directly into the support of Ukraine Ukrainian military, their social infrastructure, everything. How much of that $110 billion has been being used? Now, if I'm a company owner, and if I wanted to go to the bank and borrow money for my company for a specific purpose, I'm going to use this for this, 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 and this. The bank will usually watch me along the way to make sure I used the money they lent me or gave to me to do the things that they gave it to me for. We're at that point now. I mean, when you hit $100 billion that you give to somebody, you kind of want to know what's going on. Do you remember if you're a regular here at TNN Live? You remember the interview? I did actually three interviews with Dunstan Teo. Dunstan is a Christian. He's an amazing guy. He's a brilliant guy. He is the largest owner in the world of cryptocurrency. And that's a fact. He's a multi-billionaire, a Christian guy. He made all his money in cryptocurrency. And he's a specialist. He also, because of his position in many, many, many cryptocurrency companies, he has a vision of circumstances going on right now behind the scenes. And he sees a lot of good, but he sees a lot of bad. On our show, he told us that the cryptocurrency that was sent from the United States 
to Ukraine, yeah, most of it was in cryptocurrency form, that it was done purposely that way instead of transmitting funds the normal way. And it's because, I don't know if you know or understand this thing, but when you get cryptocurrency and it comes to you, nobody else can access your cryptocurrency unless they have all the, not only all the information of that cryptocurrency, but the owner of that cryptocurrency creates a file and sends it to one person. That would be, if they're going to give it, they would give it to you. There'd be a long algorithm when you transferred it that would be specific to that transfer only. Okay. Nobody else would know where it goes. You can't tell. You can't, it's like a bank that can look at the wire transfer stuff and know where it goes and who it went to. Cryptocurrency, that's not the case. Nobody will even know where it went unless you tell them. How much went unless you tell them. So it is factual that a bunch of that money went to other people. And some of those other people are politicians. How about that? That's just one thing. So a lot of members in Congress are now cranking down and saying, where, oh, where did our money go to? So Samantha Power, you know her. She was in the Biden administration at the top in the United Nations. She is today the administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development. It's called USAID, A-I-D. She gave public affirmation during a CNN Live town hall last night. And she told us just hours ahead of the White House revealing it would give another $2 billion in military aid to Ukraine. And she did this as the war with Russia officially hit the one-year mark. That additional $2 billion is going to bring the total amount of American military assistance to over $30 billion. She further claimed Ukraine has made progress in working to root out their corruption over there while officials are continually checking to ensure U.S. taxpayer dollars are used properly. She said this, up until this point, we don't have any evidence the U.S. assistance is being misused or misspent, but, again, the key is not resting on anybody's goodwill or virtue. She was responding to a question that was posed about Ukraine's long history of corruption, its checks and balances, the rule of law, the integrity of officials, she said. Yeah, right. The U.S. has given more than $100 billion in military and humanitarian aid to Ukraine since the start of the war exactly one year ago, even as doubts have been expressed over the potential for corruption. It's just like writing a check and handing it to them and saying, here you go. And they tell you they're going to do that. Before you give it to them, here's what we're going to do with it. We have no idea what they did with it. They tell us, Samantha Power saying, oh, just listen to me. I'm telling you, they're doing what they're supposed to do. The Ukrainian defense ministry has been dealing with a whole long string of corruption scandals. The latest one is about excessive payments for food. 
Now think about that. They take, let's just say, $5 billion for all this food for the Ukrainian people. Well, they got to buy that stuff. They buy it. And who's selling it to them? Well, it's people that own food companies in Ukraine, right? We don't know who those people are, but we do know from our past history in the United States, a lot of bad people get in the middle of such transactions and maybe, oh, maybe they uh, cut a deal with the buyer or people that work for the buyer and they sell it at one price, but the real cost is less than that to the provider. Other allegations include dubious military contracts with under-the-table kickbacks to who? Deputy ministers in Ukraine, the sale of military equipment, including American hardware, ours, to international buyers, and embezzlement from the national winter aid budget. Last month, President Zelensky of Ukraine, he was looking to clear the air by sacking a string of officials in the wake of corruption allegations. In acknowledging this, Samantha Power explained the U.S. Government Accountability Office launched a brand new initiative to help Ukraine expand its auditing institution, which she said will be needed for reconstruction of Ukraine. I trust them, don't you? Power added the U.S. does not provide for resources like paying health workers, or providing disability support to Ukraine unless the officials see a receipt for an expenditure and acts on a basis of reimbursing Ukraine for its spending. Novel idea, follow the money, get verification. Some House Republicans have been uh, crying pretty loudly about their doubts about the continued U.S. support for Ukraine and question how the money being sent there is being used seeking to begin an audit of the money trail. And, of course, remember this, folks. It's the United States of America. We trust everybody. (laughs) And we trust all our politicians. (laughs) And so I got to just tell you this. For me, here's my way of handling politics. Every such instance when somebody that's in the middle of it, somebody that's in the group that's sending money, making sure it's spent right, if they're a politician or currently a political bureaucrat in the system, whatever they say, I doubt, just because of what they do. Even if I know them, I'm going to question, well, you know, we got $100 billion, we spent $100 billion, and every dime of it went for the betterment of the Ukraine people in this war against Russia. That will happen again and again. I could tell you all kinds of stories to explain it. I'll tell you one. Rock climber. Great rock climber. He's uh, climbing by himself. There's this one sheer cliff that he's always been wanting to get up. And so he, he starts climbing. And he climbs, and he climbs. He gets about two-thirds of the way up. He's hot and sweaty. He's got to rest for a minute. There's a a rock-like opening, a crevice right there. 
and he pulled himself up on it to sit down for a minute before he finished the climb. And over in the corner of this little crevice in the dark was a rattlesnake coiled up. And he saw it, and he jumped back, and the rattlesnake spoke to him and said, Oh, mister, don't worry about me. And the guy said, Well, you're a snake. And the guy said, No, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to get up off this rock crevice. If I don't, I'm going to die. And he looked at the climber and said, hey, would you would you take me up the rest of the way? Can, can I go with you? If, if you don't take me, I'm going to die. And the guy said, if I did that, you're a snake. You'd bite me. And the rattlesnake said, I wouldn't dare do that because then we'd both die. So they talked for a little bit and finally the rock climber, he gave in, and he wrapped the snake around his shoulders. And sure enough, he gets out there and he starts to climb. And it's, it's, it's just sheer. I mean, it's hard. And just as he gets to the top to pull himself and the snake up over, the snake couldn't resist it. And he bit the guy in the neck. And it shocked the climber. And he threw his arms back, lost his grip, both of them plummeting down to certain death. And as they're falling, the climber said, you promised me, you told me that you wouldn't bite me. And the snake looked at him and said, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. Ukraine has always been full of snakes. We know it. We hear about it all the time. Remember, President Sun somewhere between sixty dollars and $80,000 a month to serve on the board of Burisma Holdings, a natural gas company in Ukraine. Think about that. Hunter had no expertise, no knowledge, no background in fossil fuel energy and especially not natural gas. So why would they, Burisma Holdings, why would they hire Hunter Biden? Oh, my gosh. And then there's President Biden when he wasn't president. And there's a video we've showed over and over again here at TNN Live of him sitting with a little panel in front of a group, and he told the whole story about the Burisma holding things in Ukraine, the former president of Ukraine. The United States had committed to help them with a guarantee of a $100 million loan guarantee. And Joe had the authority to do it. Joe, during if you didn't know this, during the Obama administration, was appointed by Barack Obama to be the U.S. liaison with Ukraine. So he was over there all the time helping them. Yeah, right. He was helping them. And uh, his son and Burisma Holdings, with a many, many year reputation of corruption, been in trouble with the Ukrainian government numerous times, and there were some things going on, and the Ukrainian chief investigator had been investigating Burisma Holdings for corruption, for fraud. And so it was getting really serious. So Joe told the story. He's sitting down with the president, and he said, look, this prosecutor over here is investing Burisma Holdings. And they've been doing it for a long time. There's no there there. There's no there there. 
you need to fire that prosecutor. Well, the president said, no, we're investigating him for fraud ourselves. But I'm not going to fire him. We don't know that. And Joe looked at him and said, well, you know that $100 million loan guarantee I've, I've got here to give to you? And Joe said, if you don't fire that prosecutor, you don't get this loan guarantee. And Joe bragged and said, he told him, he said, I'm leaving, our plane's leaving, going back in nine hours. If that prosecutor's not fired, you don't get the loan guarantee. And Joe said these exact words, and I'm going to abbreviate one of them. He said, and son of a bee, the guy fired him, the president fired him, he was gone. There's so much corruption in politics, I don't need to tell you that. So during a town hall on CNN yesterday, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, he said that President Biden was advised by the military that those Abrams tanks that the U.S. agreed to send to Ukraine, he said that wouldn't make sense for the war. Germany said it wouldn't give the tanks. It wouldn't make sense unless you, the United States, provides your tanks. President Biden said if me providing Abrams tanks, even if it's not the most sensible military move, will help unlock German tanks to get to the front lines and also will sustain alliance unity, I will do it. Sullivan, he responded to a question by the host, Farid Zakaria, on why the U.S. seems to resist sending weapons before changing its mind by stating, so first, Farid, the way that our military and our intelligence community make recommendations for the president is they look at the needs of the Ukrainian military during the phase of the war that we're confronting at the time. As we head into the spring, what Ukraine really needs is armor, infantry fighting vehicles, and yes, tanks. Now, and we're providing those. The president was advised by his military, Abrams tanks, the American tank, doesn't really make sense for this fight. What they really needed were leopard tanks, German tanks, that a bunch of countries in Europe own. But the Germans said, we won't provide our tanks unless you, the United States, provide your tanks. And President Biden said, of me providing Abrams tanks, even if it's not the most yada, 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 yada. If this will help unlock those German tanks to get to the front lines and also will sustain... Alliance Unity, I will do it. Have any idea what that whole thing was about? Think about where those expensive, very expensive, multi-million dollar every copy of our tanks, they're the most sophisticated tanks in the world. Joe's not giving Ukraine the money to buy those tanks. Joe's providing the tanks. He's giving the tanks to Ukraine. So how does that happen? Wonder who the wonder who the mine manufacturer is. <laughs> I have no idea. And I don't know if it's really this way, but what in the past has often been proven is the bill. Bill from the uh from the builder of the tanks, 
when it gets to the Secretary of Treasury's desk to be paid, a bunch of that money was added on by the builder of the tanks because he's got to pay some politicians that talk Joe into finally caving in and giving up and letting these tanks be given to Ukraine. Wars are extremely expensive, and there's so much money involved in it. There's corruption everywhere. Why? How do you know that, Dan? Look, I believe the Bible. And in the Bible, it makes it very plain, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so all these people are in the stream of your tax dollars, leaving the treasury, going out there. They don't, the, the government doesn't build tanks. We have no idea what it costs to build those tanks. All we know is the money between the guy that builds the tanks and gets to Ukraine. All along the way, there are, there are hands out. Pay me, mister. The love of money is the root of all evil. You remember that. More, more big news just ahead. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee. Signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Do the same Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSB shocks. So it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, there is some big news today about the younger Biden, Hunter Biden. Uh-oh. More rumors out there, right, Dan? Nope, not rumors. 
congressional investigators have scored a big breakthrough. They got some cooperation from a guy named Eric Schwerin. Eric is a close business associate of Hunter, also had dealings with Joe, President Joe, his business, President's business, and tax affairs. He's cooperating with us. That comes from House Oversight Chairman James Comer, Republican uh, Republican from Kentucky. He, uh, he said late yesterday that he's now cooperating with them. I don't know if you call that a whistleblower, but anyway. His attorneys and my counsel, this is Comer, Representative Comer, those two are communicating on a regular basis. Now I feel confident that he's going to work with us and give us the information we've asked for. And the rep congressman added, I think that Schwerin is going to be a very valuable witness for us in this investigation. Now this comes as the committee has gotten word that Hunter Biden and his uncle, presidential brother James Biden, don't intend to volunteer all the information Comer's committee has been seeking in its wide-ranging probe of not just Hunter, but as it, as it plays out in the life of Joe Biden, the president, former vice president, former senator. Comer said his committee won't wait any longer. They're going to start sending subpoenas. We know individuals, many are cooperating with us now, but others not so much, Comer said. We're going to start subpoenaing people in the private sector. We're going to start subpoenaing financial institutions to get the information, and then we'll go from there. Comer also trolled Hunter for refusing to fully cooperate, saying the lack of cooperation seems to undercut Hunter's claims that he had nothing to hide. If I were Hunter, Comer said, and I'm an innocent as his lawyers and the little guy that works in the White House and that tax me every day says he is, I would want to clear my name in front of the House Oversight Committee. He could come in from the House Oversight Committee right now and defend his good name. He would have 20 Democrats that would definitely support him, and he can make 26 Republicans look bad if all of the information we have from his laptop, all the emails that were in his own words, all the audio that are in his own voice, if for some reason we're misinterpreting that, then he could make us look bad. But we all know, Comer said, that the family was involved in influence peddling. Add this to other things the administration has done in its ability to try to block oversight. Both Joe and Hunter have denied the family did anything wrong, although Hunter has acknowledged he's under federal criminal investigation on tax issues. Comer said while the committee battles the White House and the Biden family too for information, Schwerin's cooperation was a breakthrough that could spur other key witnesses to come forward. That's a very positive development. I believe it's going to lead to a few others coming around. Emails on Biden's laptop that was turned over to the FBI 2019 show Schwerin a business executive at Hunter's Rosemont Seneca investment firm 
had close proximity to both Hunter and Joe during most of the time the elder Biden was vice president and his son was doing a lot of international business deals. Example, Schwerin was involved in vetting and facilitating Hunter's business dealings with that Chinese energy firm, CEFC. That's a relationship that has raised hard questions about whether the communist China China has compromised the Biden family by providing it, as the emails show, an expensive diamond and a multi-million dollar no-interest forgivable loan. Five million dollars. Now, let me ask you this. If you could get some bank or some big financial institution to give you a $5 million no interest, that's pretty good. But the last part, that loan was forgivable. In other words, they didn't have to pay it back. $5 million. If we can make the connection, we can take a percentage of the sale, Sherwin wrote. As early as 2010, it wasn't Sherwin, I said Sherwin, it's Schwerin. Schwerin was also involved in discussing tax and financial stuff with Vice President Biden. Your dad just called me about his mortgage and mentioned he'd be out a lot sooner uh, and not really back until Labor Day. Schwerin emailed to Hunter on July 6, 2010. So it dawned on me it might be a good time. Also, he could use some positive news about his future earnings potential. Of course, the White House and Hunter Biden's lawyers were simply unavailable, too busy to talk to the Oversight Committee. Now, there are some sanctions coming up, new ones, from our federal government. You know what they are. These are really bad lockdowns that our government has the ability to do regarding internal things like money transferring, banking things. They have the ability to stop some of that, regulate some of that. And if most, this is the United States, most everybody, most every company, that's a big company, they're going to do business or try to do business with the United States of America. When a president, when a Congress has problems with big companies, individuals, internationally, they really have a good tool to use against them, and that is sanctions. Now, how do those sanctions work? The United States reaches out to banks, reaches out to other countries where these people are holding jobs, big contracts, whatever it is. And they can just lock them down. You can't do business in, with that company anymore. You can't do business in that country anymore. And if it's in the United States, they can lock it down with one sweep of the hand. So these sanctions that are coming up, you know, this is supposed to be uh, a slap on the hand for China sending those balloons over the United States. That's the ploy that they're using. So Sanctions targeting Russia on the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. We put all kinds of sanctions on Russia for that. Now, those sanctions are going to hit China-backed entities 
that are violating export bans against Moscow. And this comes from the State Department. The Biden administration has identified that Chinese-linked firms, some European, they're based in Europe, are evading existing sanctions against Russia and intend to weaken Moscow's ability to finance and supply its military offensive in Ukraine. There will be in the sanction packages that we will be announcing tomorrow on the one-year anniversary of the war. That's under Secretary of State Victoria Nuland, and that was during a Washington Post event. We will also be putting other constraints on entities, Chinese-based or Chinese subs of entities in Europe. In January, the Department of Treasury sanctioned the Chinese tech company SpaceT for giving geolocating data to a private Russian mercenary group that has fought alongside Moscow forces in the war. Some of the items being accessed by Russia include laptops, smartphones, dishwashers, washing machines, and even cars. Newland alleged that developing countries are acting as intermediaries to make sure to support the goods needed in Moscow. U.S. officials are concerned that advanced semiconductor chips in these products could be used for military purposes. They can cannibalize the machinery to get the advanced chips that we have denied them so that they can make more rockets. We will clamp down on that evasion starting tomorrow. State Department has taken a firmer stance against countries that would send letter aid, lethal aid, to Russia which Newland and other U.S. officials think China's ruling com- Communist Party is wanting from us explicitly. Now think about that. This is the Communist who represents Congress, who died over the sin of the people. You brought it. On Thursday, when asked by NBC whether the Biden administration would share intelligence behind these suspicions about Russia and China, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said that they have no plans to do so, but it's not off the table. Administration officials continue to issue warnings to Beijing this week, hoping to defer any potential arms trafficking to Russia that might occur. Lethal aid would be a complete step change, Newland said. Not only in how they are viewed globally in their claims of neutrality, but also in our relationship with China. This is not something that can be done under the carpet while China professes to be neutral. At a Department of Defense press secretary meeting yesterday, Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh warned of consequences for China if they were to give lethal support to Russia. When asked by Epoch Times what those consequences might look like, she would not specify. No joke, no problem for me. This is the kind of stuff you expect. Why be shocked 
when what is always happening when one set of circumstances are thrown together happens again. Nothing's new on the United States of America. There's nothing new happening here. It's happened somewhere at some point in the history to somebody. Now, there are some things that are so rare that when we see or hear or live through some of them, you know, we'll just label it. You know, this is something that is untenable. I've never heard anything like this. It's the end of the world, yada, yada, yada. Circumstances are not what should support and determine your life. Facts are what we all need to build on, not suspicions, not what someone else tells you is factual. And let me give an example about how much evil there is in the world. And this may shock and it should make all of you mad. Previously disclosed agreements about the sale of COVID-19 vaccines between Pfizer and the Israeli Ministry of Health were shown to the public for the first time on the 20th. Here's what they include. The confidential disclosure agreement that was signed on July 12th of 2020. The binding term sheet signed on November 13th of 2020. The manufacturing and supply agreement signed on December 1st, 2020. Three amendments to the MS agreement dated February and April of 21, and a supplementary agreement signed on March 11th of 21. Gal Gurr, who's an Israeli attorney, released these documents and information. Parts of the documents are redacted, obviously. Some sections are completely redacted, such as indemnification and insurance and liability, quality and checks, and attachments, CDNE, that have to do with delivery documentation, specifications and labeling, and packaging specifications in this MS agreement. Until this all came out in the public purview, the only document the Israeli Ministry of Health had released to the public from that agreement with Pfizer to push, uh, excuse me, purchase vaccines was the real world epidemiological evidence collaboration agreement. And that's a long-term kind of tongue in cheek. The real world epidemiological evidence collaborating agreement. It was dated January 6th of 2021. One thing I'm learning on this visit to Israel, when you talk about things like we're talking about today, everything that happens has a reason. Cause and effect. Most of the time, we just get stuck in the effect and we can't get past that. But if, if it's a bad thing, look for the roots of it. Where did it come from? How did it get in your life? You know, we can nip a lot of these things before they destroy our lives. Think about that. A FOIA application filed back in 2022 in April. It sought to clarify the degree of authenticity and the validity of the Pfizer Evidence Collaboration Agreement. The request was filed by Joseph Zernick, 
who's the CEO of Human Rights Alert, a non-governmental organization or a, oh, what is it, non-governmental. You know, you know what I'm talking about, a uh, proof that that organization works to increase transparency in government authorities. Zernick took that agreement to court September of 22 after it didn't provide the requested information. In a later court hearing on February 16th, Zernick found out another lawyer, David Pikes, had already gotten other agreements, but they hadn't been made public. Pfizer got those documents in January of 22 after taking MOH to court. The documents Pikes obtained were also heavily redacted. So they got into a big fight over the redaction thing. I, it just nauseates me. What I do for this website and these broadcasts that we do, what I do is go do exhaustive research to find out these things. Why do you do that, Dan? Well, I mean, come on, folks. Do you have a pipeline to the U.S. military at the level where you can get good and timely information about everything going on, like in the Ukraine war and other stuff? I don't have that. You don't have that. We have to go find it. How do you find it, Dan? Well, when you hear or see something, instead of just throwing it away, putting it behind you, if you get a sense when you see or hear it, that's pretty important. What you need to do is find a way to put it in a box, seal it up somewhere, so that in the future when it comes back, and it messes with your life. <laughs> Boy, does that happen. You're going to really, really want to take a look and get the truth. And, and so with redacted documents, that's what we're talking about. I can't tell you how many government documents in all of the, uh, the craziness that happened, the four years, actually it was five years of the Trump administration because his stuff started during his campaign. I mean, even before his campaign. According to this response to Zernick's appeal dated October 22nd, the MOH argued they had presented the court with explanations for the redactions in the evidence collaboration agreement during Pike's appeal. They said that the court had been of the opinion that the redactions in this agreement are justified. Pikes explained that he asked for the unredacted agreements, both but as a personal matter and as a public matter, according to the summary documented review. Pikes said it was important information for the public because COVID policies had pushed widespread vaccination in the public. You think? I want to make sure that the policy of the Ministry of Health adopts is not based on personal considerations, but on public considerations, Pike said in court. I want to know who signed it so that there's not a conflict of interest. Pike's also obtained the evidence collaboration agreement in a slightly less redacted form and the additional agreement signed by the MOH representatives with significant parts redacted. After looking at those, he agreed for the appeal to be dismissed. 
During the February hearing in Zernick's case, the MOH tried to claim in court there's no need to discuss any further these redactions. Sint was examined during Pike's appeal. Their lawyer argued that even though there was no ruling made in Pike's appeal, the same balance of interest versus public interest had already been explained. Yet the judge said that no judgment had been made on the matter of the redactions according to the summary of hearing. Now, why are we talking about redactions? You understand how that plays into the political process. The United States government is is split into three different parts. They're equal parts. In other words, they none of the three has any say-so over the other two, and it's vice versa walking around the room. So when they have that oversight, they need to have the facts, they being the United States Congress. They're charged with oversight, making sure that all the people, all the companies, individuals or businesses, when they're using taxpayer dollars, given taxpayer dollars, it's, it's normal in previous administrations for real accountability from the, even before the very beginning, before the first check is written. you got to present me with a plan, the whole plan itself, what its end goals are, how much money do you need or want, and document all that. When you start redacting agreements that are principles in this conversation, it sends up a red flag in everybody's mind. Why would you have to redact anything? What are you hiding with that redaction? Why not just give us the whole truth and nothing but the truth and just give us the straight spot? You know what would happen in the United States if that was part and participle of being in public? Tensions would drop by 50%. People's hatred and anger with the government would just go away. But that hasn't happened. And I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I just don't. You know this, there's a bunch of stuff happening in Ohio, not good stuff, right on the border with Pennsylvania. We're talking about East Palestine, Ohio, A former fire chief up there yesterday said that the control burn that released those toxic chemicals into the air and water derailed many, may not have been necessary. Now, what does that mean? That fire chief thinks that was all a planned idea, everything, including the train wreck. That Norfolk Southern train carrying hazardous chemicals detailed on February 3rd in East Palestine. A controlled burn was performed days later to prevent an explosion. Silverio Caggiano, Administrative Deputy Chief at Mahoning County Hazardous Materials and WND Response Team. Boy, what a title. Also is the Deputy Chief at Mahoning County Hard Hazardous Hard. Uh, I can't even say the words. Why do they have all these long titles? Listen to the, this name again. 
County Hazardous Materials and WMD Response Team. Former fire chief told residents during a community meeting organized by local nonprofit that he is not aware of any incident where they have detonated all the cars in the trench and burned them off. In any case study he had found, they did it to open up a railroad. Now, what does that mean? Well, the cooling off could have done it. The temperature gradients could have fell off. You don't know, he later said. If you just let it boil off, you don't know. But what they did was they took a potential and made it for sure. He then called the controlled burns the laboratory experience and experiment from hell. This meeting yesterday drew a large crowd. Residents piled in overflow spaces. They wanted to hear from panelists, including Ph.D. researchers, lawyers, and community organizers. Residents brought up concerns about how the related chemicals could impact their health, how safe if they in their homes and workplaces, and whether government officials made the correct decision when responding to the derailment. The EPA tested more than 550 homes. Think about that, 550 homes. Somebody's got to spend some time walking, right? And said there were no excedents for residential air quality standards. In other words, they checked the air, it's okay. Stephen Lester, who's the sign director for all of science at Centers for Health, Environment, and Justice, sat during the meeting and he said the EPA is not testing for dioxins, which are groups of chemical compounds. He said that dioxin can cause symptoms, including skin reactions, could remain present in that area for years. The EPA has made one major mistake in their testing process thus far, he said. It was ignoring dioxin, almost pretending like it didn't exist. One resident said during this meeting he could smell an odor when he tossed a rock into the creek. Now think about that. How would that smell get on that rock? <laughs> Panelists encourage residents to have their soil and water tested and to receive baseline physical to document, uh, document their health levels. Jamie Wallace, community organizer, said at the start of the meeting, she demanded a toxicologist test her home, and the report found it unsafe after she was told and able to return in 10 days after the derailment. That didn't happen. It's not going to happen. So we're still messed up over there. You heard Mayor Pete finally went down there yesterday. What in the heck did he say? He did not say anything directly related to what's going on there. He just tried to brush over it and make it so that nobody would think anything was bad there by finding out the bad circumstances and they would be better for them if they didn't hear anything. And so when that happens, when it appears, especially from a federal government guy, when you hear that kind of stuff, you think, oh my gosh, what is going on? What's the scandal? There has to be one. We're still looking. 
but I'll guarantee you there's one there. And it's being used right now. Somewhere, somebody's using it. Well, how did your week go? Did you have a good one at work? Maybe took a vacation. Maybe this was your summer vacation. A lot of people like to go to the beach early. And when you go to the beach early, you're going to be there. And it, especially if you're a, a beach person, you go to the rent a condo somewhere on the beach. When spring break happens and when schools get let out, people flood those beaches. Think about going to the beach a little bit earlier than you went before. You can usually get a better rate for the condo, too. Give it a whirl. You might like it. The Truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Get not only the news, but the truth in the news. From TNN, the Truth News Network. Dan Newman. Thank you, Pete Moss. Well, if you just joined the show late, you you don't know maybe. Maybe you do that we're broadcasting live from Israel. Uh, We're finishing this week. We'll be here next week every day. And the way it works, TNN Live goes live at 9 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, in the United States. It's streaming around the world. In fact, I'm in Israel, and this is streaming to you. Um, What about technology that allows us to do this? Is this incredible? I mean, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm sitting in a hotel room, and I have my broadcast... um, I don't even know, a mixer. I have it sitting here. Next to it, a computer. The computer is hooked to the internet, and it goes through software between here and our company that streams it to 92 countries out of Seattle. Now, I'm in Israel. (laughs) In this, this show, what I say, what you hear, it goes electronically through the internet immediately. Satellite bumps, bounces from Israel up to satellites down to another satellite server in the U.S., then that transmits that to Seattle, Washington. They stream it up 
to satellites over 92 countries, and then our show streams down. So some places, and, and in fact, the people in this hotel that are listening to the show live, it's about a seven-second delay. Now think what, just realize that what they're hearing me say, it goes through that whole process to Seattle. Seattle beams it up to a satellite, whichever one serves Israel, and then it comes down here. So they're hearing it maybe as long as 30 seconds after I say it. Now, what does that mean, Dan? It just means we have amazing technology as Americans. Many of us don't even realize that. That's not good. So we like to hear what Tucker Carlson has to say often because the guy, he's on top of everything. Now, you know, he is one of those young guys and uh, he has a way. Some people like his way. I happen to be one that does because he's usually out front. And everything he says is usually maybe sometime tongue-in-cheek, but it's usually right on about what's going on. Last night's show, Tucker talked about all of the stuff going on in Washington, D.C. under President Biden's watch. Time is running out. For the president. Now, how could Jesse Waters spin that? Here's Jesse. Moving on is never easy, especially if you have no one to pass the torch to. Just ask the Bucks. Who's going to play quarterback now that Brady's gone? Or who do you leave your company to if your son's an idiot? Forget it. I quit. I can't do this anymore, man. My head's about to explode. My whole life sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. My dad just died. We just killed Bambi. I'm out here getting my ass kicked, and every time I drive down the road, I want to jerk the wheel into a bridge in Buntman. Just like in politics, uh, we have succession plans. And it's no secret in Washington that Biden's time's running out and the Democrats want someone younger. For them, that guy was supposed to be Mayor Pete. And since Pete was only just a mayor, they had to give him a job to beef up his resume. So they gave him transportation secretary. The job was supposed to literally transport him into the White House. How do you screw that job up? Well, Pete found a way. Transportation secretaries don't have scandals, but Pete does. From the supply chain crisis to the airline drama to paternity gate, Pete was breaking layup after layup after layup. Already on thin ice, a toxic train wrecked an Ohio town, and Mayor Pete didn't speak about it for nearly two weeks. But Pete was too busy campaigning. He took 23 interviews the first 10 days after the accident, didn't mention the toxic train wreck once. Now Pete's upset. Not about the people, the train probably poisoned. Team Pete is leaking that, quote, he's taken a lot of bullets for the president on this. This isn't how the succession plan was supposed to shake out. Right as Democratic power brokers were trying to yank Kamala off the ticket, sneaky Pete was supposed to be creeping in. But Pete was too worried about the job that he wanted and not the job that he had. And now Pete's presidential campaign is derailed. And that's the only derailment he cares about. So Pete's been shamed into pretending to care and had to drag himself out of bed this morning and visit East Palestine after former President Trump did. Not a good look.
Pete borrowed a hard hat, slapped on some safety goggles and someone else's construction vest, and snuck into town at 7 a.m. Either still sleeping or getting ready for work. Sneaky Pete went to shake some hands with the same white construction workers he called racist. But Pete's photo op backfired because he looked like he was wearing a Halloween costume. Isn't there a song that goes along with that? Not since Dukakis put a tank helmet on and John Kerry slapped on a spacesuit has a presidential candidate look so goofy. But Pete started squirming the second the questions came. Mayor Pete, why did it take you an entire two and a half weeks to actually get here to respond to East Palestine? Will you apologize to the residents of this city for, for the, the, the slow response? To the government's slow response, do you have any apology? I'm a press person, I can help you. Sure, I'm, I'm sure, sure, person. sure. So can, can, can we ask why it took him almost three weeks to get here? I, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this on camera. So Pete won't apologize, but Pete's woman will. You just have to turn off your cameras so it doesn't look like Pete did anything wrong. This is like Rudy visiting Ground Zero three weeks later and wondering why people are asking him questions. It's too little, too late, Petey. And everybody there knows that. Well, everybody but Pete. What do you say to residents who say you're too little, too late? Uh, Well, uh, I say that we're with residents right now. And uh, we're going to be here before... As we were in the first hour. Why did it take you three answer, weeks can, then, can if you go to judge? My answer to the first, well, we're uh, saying it's too little, question. too late because it took you three weeks to get here. Is that okay to you as the Department of Transportation Secretary? The question is, do you think that you've done right a good now. job as the, uh, you know, Secretary of the Department of Transportation? Yes, I'm proud of what uh, FRA and FIMSA have done here from day one. So Sneaky Pete says he's proud that it took him three weeks to show up to a toxic train wreck. And he wouldn't have had it any other way. Would you still Again, be here I want to if get to President this, uh, wasn't here yesterday? Yeah, my, the timing of my visit is uh, based on trying to be here with the community, but also trying to not be in the way of NTSB. Uh, maybe I got that timing right, maybe not. But uh, the most important thing for me right now is that that doesn't wind up allowing people to change the subject and block needed rail regulation. And can yeah. you I'm on my way to the media availability. Can you ask Biden why here? he was able to go to Ukraine before visiting the people of East Palestine, Definitely. please? Can you ask Joe Biden that? Why is Pete riding an SUV into East Palestine? Hasn't the town been polluted enough? So Pete shows up before anybody notices, hides behind white construction workers, runs away from reporters and doesn't talk to a single resident. I didn't see Pete hugging anybody. I didn't see Pete drinking the water. The guy didn't put his arm around a single person and tell him everything's going to be all right. And this is the guy Democrats think can be president. Kiss a baby, skinny dip in a creek, Pete. Tell the rail company you're going to throw him in prison. By the way, the rail company could have prevented all of this. Alan Shaw's conductors didn't even hit the brakes until the third warning. Listen. I can tell you this much. This was 100% preventable. The train passed three wayside defect detectors, which identify overheated bearings. Upon passing the third detector with a temperature of 253 degrees above ambient... A critical audible alarm message sounded, instructing the crew to slow and stop the train to inspect the hot axle, and the wheel bearing failed. Car number 23 derailed. 
So Norfolk Southern ignored three warnings that their train was overheating. And when it was time to hit the brakes, it was a little too late. So I don't know if you can blame Trump for this one, guys. If I was an East Palestinian, I'd sue the pants off Alan Shaw. Mayor Pete knows this falls on the rail company, but he's still going around blaming Trump and even blaming reporters for doing their job. Mayor Pete, who didn't talk about the toxic train wreck for almost two weeks, is upset about misinformation. There's no question that there have been enormous amounts of both information and misinformation injected into this situation, none of which is to the benefit of the community uh, when it comes to that misinformation. So I think, so I lost my train of thought. Is that supposed to be a joke? Because we've covered Pete for a couple years and he never loses his train of thought. That's why people want him instead of Kamala, because he can actually talk. But maybe Pete's onto something. He wants to be president, so he's following in Joe's footsteps. He's ignoring problems. He's blaming misinformation and then sticking his foot in his mouth. Maybe I'm wrong about Pete. He's got this presidential thing down. Lie to everybody and then tell them the water's safe and then blame misinformation when people don't trust you. It's like the COVID playbook all over again. Don't go there and tell these people they're victims of misinformation when the government's the one that's been lying to them telling them the water's fine and then going out and breathing in the air. Go out there, hand out some bottled water, kiss some babies, wrap your arms around them. Don't go there three weeks later and tell them to do things you should have been doing. The country should be wrapping their arms around the people of East Palestine, not as a political football, not as an ideological flashpoint, not as a gotcha moment, but as thousands of human beings whose lives got upended through no end, through no fault of their own. Uh, and I think that includes visits, not just big official visits from the government, but just people who've seen the news and whose hearts go out to the community here. Again, our producers poured through footage all day, and we couldn't find a single image of Pete wrapping his arms around anybody in East Palestine. Pete didn't have time to hug anybody. He had to get back to... Private time with Chaston. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. Jesse, he hit the nail there. And did you know, you, you heard him talking about Mayor Pete, and then you heard from Mayor Pete himself. Sorry about that. Mayor Pete himself was making excuses and telling Americans, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need to worry about the way the government, me, of course, he's the one that should have responded from the very beginning, and he didn't. But he's trying to find a way to excuse himself. But did you know this? The president, the president of the United States, Joe Biden first tweeted about the Ohio disaster, not until the day before Trump's visit. Now think about that. President Biden was silent on Twitter about the train wreck until the day before Trump decided he was going to East Palestine himself. After the train wreck, 
prompted evacuation of residents of the town because of toxic chemical exposure. Any other president would have really gotten on the bus really quickly, not Joe. He waited till the day before Trump was to get there to East Palestine. During the same time, he tweeted about Ukraine eight separate times. So no big deal. Nothing going on here in the United States, but look at Ukraine. Eight times the president tweeted about stuff in Ukraine. His first tweet on the rail disaster came after he made a surprise visit on the other side of the world to Ukraine to mark the Ukraine war's one-year mark this week. His top aides on a conference call, they were bragging about how logistically difficult the trip was and how much it meant to the president to visit Ukraine and stand next to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. After Biden gave the speech in Warsaw on Ukraine, his official Twitter account finally tweeted about East Palestine, including a photo of Biden calling Ohio state officials and lawmakers saying he spoke with them about the situation. He said, I reaffirm my commitment to make sure they have everything they need. He tweeted as part of the thread, quote, I want effective residents to know we've got your back. And as I said to your governors, they'll have every resource that they need. The White House had previously sent out a fact sheet on everything it had done to assist Ohio on February 17th, the same day it was first reported that Trump was going to go to Ohio. Mayor Pete finally showed up a day after Trump, snapped at a reporter who asked him if he had a message for the people suffering from the disaster, and of course he refused to answer. His press secretary also refused to answer questions on camera, including the question of why it took three weeks for Buttigieg to visit East Palestine. It's very, very obvious. I'm not saying this about every government servant. There are a lot of people in D.C. that they're really there for good. I honestly can tell you, I don't know. If you if you put them all in a, in a big room and you had the ability to go around and look at every single person there and know when you looked at them if they were good, if they were really public servants, or if they were in it for something else, I would bet you if you had all of those totaled up and you knew the real answers to all of that question, it would be about, uh, 60, 40, 60 being the bad guys, 40 being the good guys. In other words, the swamp, as former president Trump named it in his campaign for president, Washington DC is the swamp. The swamp is probably full of more alligators then there are good people in the United States Congress. Why would the president wait that long? And why would he send, nobody mentioned this, why would he take another $2 billion with him to Ukraine when he went, when the people of that Ohio town were devastated, still are, have no idea what the heck is going on, what's really happening to their air and their water, 
the Biden administration looks like, oh, you know, this is a little bitty thing. Listen, folks, foxes were dying. Not just birds and fish. Even foxes were being found dead all around. That could surely be a telltale sign, especially to the people in the U.S. government. There's something really big going on. Oh, if that had happened, not just in a little town, but maybe in a big city that, you know, all the big cities, they have Democrat mayors, many of them in Democrat states. They'd be all over it. But it's no big deal in Ohio, right? Now, let me say this. The president, he may not know it. I think he does. I think his handlers told him, but he and the White House are facing a huge political threat coming from their horrible response to the Norfolk Southern train derailment. Those residents in East Palestine are scared to death and they're frustrated. Republicans, of course, have gone on the tack, justifiably so, over this whole situation. They're questioning the urgency of the administration's response. And they're asking why Biden hasn't gone there himself. He went to Ukraine. Don't tell us, don't tell them that he can't jump on the little Air Force One that can land close to East Palestine, Ohio, and go and just make these people believe they have somebody in the White House that really cares about them. And let me tell you this, as stuff keeps coming out, that railroad company is definitely Norfolk Southern. They're involved in this up to their eyeballs, and they are in deep trouble because those brakes, they're supposed to check those brakes every time that train, before it leaves the yard on a job. They got to check them, and they did not do it. Trump went Wednesday. And while he was there, he accused the Biden administration of indifference and betrayal toward East Palestine. With the mayor of the village, he called it a slap in the face that Biden went to Europe before coming to the site of a potential environmental disaster. The White House said Biden has not even spoken to the mayor. Now, this was as of yesterday. It's not as if Biden is at a political low point. He returned late Wednesday from that dramatic trip to Ukraine and Poland, completing a secretive and complex visit to an active war zone that has no U.S. military presence. Listen, we're not there. We're not there. Our Army's not there. Our Air Force is not there. We have spent at least 110 billion dollars in Ukraine. Think about that for a second. We're not even involved in the war. We haven't talked today, haven't really talked in the last couple of days about the southern border and our flood of all those illegals there. Millions. Can you believe I'm saying that? Millions. Do you know that the the illegal aliens, they're not immigrants. Immigrants, they apply 
to a country to go through a process to immigrate legally. All of these aliens is what actually the federal law calls the, they call it illegal aliens. There are so many of them that come in. If we got their accurate number, well, let's just throw that to the side. The numbers that we know, the ones that did come through the port of entry or they came through the between the port of entries, but they were accosted and they were taken to these immigration centers and logged in. So we know the number of those, but there are how many more that slipped through the cracks? They're here and nobody knows who they are. The gotaways. Forget about them. Just talk about the numbers that we know here. Do you know we have states, 19 states? that have fewer people in their states than those numbers of these illegals that have come here, just the numbers we know. And guess what? Immigrants are talking about another place to get into the United States. Believe it or not, our southern border is not the only place that's experiencing a dramatic, a dramatic increase in the number of illegals coming into the country. Customs and Border Protection reports record numbers of encounters with illegal migrants at America's northern border with Canada. And I wondered, I wondered when all this began, how long will it take for them to figure, the, the people that are coming through the southern border? And they go through all of this stuff. Believe it or not, there's consternation about coming across our southern border because we're more, far more prepared to handle that than we are at the northern border because there's just not that much of illegality, people coming in from Canada over there. There just hadn't been much. Border Patrol said this, while the southern border garners most of the attention, both of America's borders are wide open because of the failed policies of this administration. That's Robert Law who's the director of the Center for Homeland Security and Immigration with the American First Policy Institute. So far, fiscal year 2023, that started, if you don't know it, October 1st. Some 55,000 illegal migrants have been encountered at the northern border. Nearly as many were encountered in 20 and 21 combined. Now, right, I, I, I said that number, 55,736, and I said, that's not many, <laughs> but that's at the southern border. If the trend continues, and the northern border is going to have a record number of encounters this year. In fiscal 2022, Border Patrol reported 109,535 encounters at the northern border. This administration is setting all the wrong records, exposing American communities to potential national security threats because of its refusal, our government's refusal, to defend the homeland. So because of these illegals at the southern border, some Border Patrol agents have been moved from the northern border to help in sectors along the southern border. What does that mean? Where they were watching our southern border there's not enough to stretch across. We were short in the first place. And so that just opens up the southern border to greater numbers coming in. Now, up north, we hear about 
the El Paso sector, all those different sectors across our southern border. They got them up north too, but they have eight sectors. The Swanton sector, that's about 24,000 square miles in Vermont, New York, New Hampshire. Day before Valentine, the Swanton sector announced it had a record 367 apprehensions and encounters in January. More than the combined total of every January of the previous 12 years, which totaled 344. Think about that. The record number of crossings took place in January, despite temperatures reaching four below, according to Border Patrol. As we progress deeper into winter and progress, into winter and continue to address ongoing pace of illicit cross-border traffic, the level of concern for the lives and welfare of our Border Patrol agents and those we are encountering, particularly vulnerable populations, continues to climb. This is from the Swanton Sector Chief Patrol Agent at the northern border. The influx of illegals attempting to cross the northern border has let the Department of Homeland Security to ask Border Patrol agents to volunteer for a temporary deployment in that sector, the Swanton sector. They're shorthanded already up there. Everyone talks about the southern border, but the northern border should never be ignored because it's bigger, has less infrastructure and personnel, far fewer personnel people there at the southern border, excuse me, at the northern border than at the southern border. And the smugglers have noticed that. New York Representative Elise Stefanik told the Daily Signal that the president's failure to secure the southern border has increased encounters of illegals along the northern border. And she's got New York, and they have a big northern border. I've been across it several times. This is a direct result of Joe Biden incentivizing illegal immigrants to pour into New York State. His historic southern border crisis forced our northern border patrol agents into no-notice deployments. In other words, just let people go. Now, you sign them up, you get their names, all all that kind of stuff. They go in the system, but you're never going to see them again. You have no idea where they're going. You don't have any way to know where they're going to send them a notice to appear or anything like that. Instead of our securing border to end this, Biden shipped his problem to New York State by flying illegals in the dead of night to our communities, now taxpayer-funded bus rides of illegals from New York City to Canada are going right through that district. Our upstate communities can't bear the burden, and our taxpayers should not have to pay the price. House Republicans are committed to a nation that is safe. We will secure our border to end this crisis that has made every state a border state. So we're not getting anything fixed. This administration's not fixing anything. We have out war. We have horrible problems. But they're not messing with it. They're not worried about it. They're just letting it go. Think about that. 
And at the same time, bad people are going to take opportunities anytime they're given to them. And that's happening right now in our government because they're just pretty much ignoring our southern border. And oh, by the way, let me just ask you this. Who's come in? Who has come in? Do you know? Do we have any idea? Do they know? No, they don't know. They don't have any idea. Oh, my gosh. Uh, our, our president, uh, just to be honest with you, he's just flat out lost it. And he's proving that on his own. We don't have to weigh in with our opinions. He's got a lot going on himself. We need a president that puts the people first. Puts the people first. That's what they all... They all promise that. Some of them, thank God, most of them really do it. But some, not so much. And that's sad. And we're seeing it. And we're also the ones that are paying the price. Wow. Well, I've got a little funny for you. You're going to like it. <laughs> it involves a president. It's easy to be funny when you talk about our president. And you know what? Everybody needs to laugh every now and then. But I hate that sometimes and many times, far more times now for this presidency than I've ever heard before, you're hearing it more and more and more and more. That's up next at TNN Live. Back right after this. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. 
Clippity clop, clippity clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing. None of this makes sense. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Got my blaster right here in my hand. I have no idea what a blaster is. I guess it's some kind of weapon. Well, you don't have to try to come up with anything that uh, makes our president look bad. And I don't think, I've, I've never felt good about uh, diminishing any politician because they're whether or not they adhere to their commitments, they are our public servants who we sent to Washington, D.C. through our voting system to represent us. Now, that means a lot of people agree that they're the ones that should go. More people agree that they should be the ones to go than others. So people, that's what the House of Representatives, Congress, is all about. We're asking people to go up there and serve the needs and the desires of people in the places where they live. And to be honest with you, there are 535 people in Congress that every one of them pledged to do just that. And when things just don't go the way that the people that put those politicians in office, I got to be honest with you, the reason that uh, it gets a little sour and gets to be concerning for the voters back at home is because of what they're seeing happen, what they're watching and hearing from these people. In this case, who put this politician up there are the American people, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, as you know, he's always been known as a great speaker, orator. He gives great speeches, fiery speeches, and he's always done a great job. And he'd just speak off the top of his head. He didn't read. He didn't usually have a bunch of notes because he didn't talk about statistics. He talked about things, emotions, circumstances, and he would paint a story and pull it all together at the end. But now our president is tied to a teleprompter. And in the case of where he's in a situation and he has to speak or give a speech and he doesn't have the teleprompter, he has note cards. I was embarrassed. I was horrified to watch when he was speaking when he first got to Ukraine the other day. He didn't even look at the people he was speaking to. He looked down the whole time reading from a note card. That's not Joe Biden. That's not the Joe Biden that was so fiery all those years in the Senate. And now Joe Biden is fighting his problems with the teleprompter of all things. We're not looking for a new Cold War, but I make no apologies. I make no apologies, and we will compete. 
and we'll, be res- we'll responsibly manage that competition so that it doesn't veer into conflict. By President, stop moving that, 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 that uh, you know, uh, what, what's this thing called? You know, teleprompter. But I make no apologies. I, I make no apologies. Things have begun to change. End of quote. In the past three weeks, end of quote. In the past three weeks, this job, this jobs, the jobs that are going to be created here. But I make no apologies. I make no apologies. Joe makes no apologies. Because Joe fought the teleprompter and did one. You know, you have, if you've watched and listened, you have seen and heard dozens and dozens of circumstances. What these politicians don't realize when they go up there, um, they're in front of the world. And now, because technology, well, look, 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 I'm, I'm speaking to you right now from a hotel room with a, um, a technological setup that includes a MacBook Pro, a board that our stuff is hooked to, microphone, and it's being sent up from here over the internet, and it ends up at Seattle, Washington, and then it beams to 92 different countries. And as far as how this sounds, I mean, I'm not going to brag about me, but I'm going to tell you, if I didn't tell you, if you did not know where I was at all, you would think I was in our studio back in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's amazing that you can see anything because don't think for a second this is not happening everything a politician does and says somebody got it on video and it's on youtube i promise you that happens all the time and so we're watching the decline of our president and it's sad and i'm going to tell you something now that we all must do jesus himself warned us what you're supposed to do is pray for those who are in authority over you it doesn't matter how bad they are it doesn't matter what political party they're in if they're in an office that means somebody the people of that town that city that county or parish that state These people that are serving, they came from these places because people sent them there. We sent them there to serve. And if they have problems, what good does it do for us to get mad at them, to talk bad about them? It doesn't do any good. In fact, what we're supposed to do is pray for those who are over us. And what you hear there is a piece of equipment making a bunch of noise. See, I told you. (laughs) Back to the southern border. You know, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. He was a uh, a really big high up in the New York Manhattan Police Department. And um, he was really good in in that job, apparently. He got elected to be the mayor because of that specifically. But it's sad that 
after he got elected, he just quit immediately doing what he promised he was going to do if the people in New York elected him to be their mayor. And boy, did he go absolutely crazy when Texas governor, you hear my friend, that piece of equipment again? You hear it? <laughs> he he just quit doing what he promised he was going to do. He just did. I'm, I said it wrong. He just stopped doing what he said he was going to do. He didn't ever start doing what he said he was going to do. And so the first bus from down in Texas that contained some of these illegal immigrants, Texas governor, nobody was paying the price or helping the people of Texas defray the massive expense that all this illegal immigration was costing the state millions of dollars. Federal government didn't step in. Well, the reason those people were coming was because the federal government wasn't doing its job. And they wouldn't listen. So he said, I'll show you. And he started sending. First it was to New York. Then he started sending it to the big cities around the nation. And now they're going everywhere. And some of the other spots on the southern border are doing the same thing. Well, Adams got mad at the federal government for doing it. Oh, my gosh, he was mad. And he began to shout out at the governor of Texas and also against the federal government. Well, he declared a state of emergency in October after more than 17,000 illegals showed up in New York. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, he said that his state is working to respond to the increase of encounters at the northern border as the Biden administration has pulled back on any northern border personnel and resources. We're requesting a formal ICE delegation, an agreement with them, with the federal government, that would empower and allow our state and local law enforcement the ability to enforce immigration laws and apprehend illegal border crossings at our northern border in the absence of federal support. So Nunu, he, I don't know if you know who he is. His dad was a governor up there. And um, was his dad the, yeah, his dad was a governor in New Hampshire. He's a young guy. He's a Republican. He's more of a moderate Republican. In other words, they're called somewhere uh, the uh, rhino, Republican in name only, because they're not conservative. He's purported establishing the Northern Border Alliance Fund to make grants available to state, county, and local law enforcement to reduce instances of crime and illicit activity in the close proximity to the Canadian border. And the proposal he put together would cost roughly $1.5 million. We're setting this crisis. We're watching it unfold, not only at our southern border, but at our northern border, highlighting the impact the Biden administration's open border policies and rhetoric are having in every community. It's been made abundantly clear this administration has no clear solution for our border crisis, north or south. So it's up to my colleagues and I to hold them accountable, provide sufficient resources and funding to our border patrol agents, stop the flow of illicit fentanyl pouring into our communities, 
and ensure our federal government will keep our citizens safe. The Center for Immigration Studies, CIS, reported last April that under Biden's presidency, more than three-quarters of a million illegal migrants had been released into America's interior, not including more than 146,000 children, and an estimated, listen to this, 620,000 gotaways. So they're telling us 756,000 that were caught and released, add that 146,000 children on top of that, and then add 620,000 gotaways, and we're not even sure it's not more than that. Whether it's the southern border, northern border, or even our airspace, this is from Nicole Maliotakis, who's a Republican in New York, and the latter referring to the unidentified objects the military has recently shot down in our airspace. Governments, she said, top priority must be to protect our homeland. Biden's open border policy makes it clear And she added, his administration has abdicated its responsibility to keep the American people safe. Here's what we all need to understand. It's not just you and I that are sworn and we are held accountable for how we respond to the laws in our cities, our towns, our parishes, or counties, our states, and even when we are in the United States of America, we have federal law. We are obligated, and we basically, when we are citizens, even when we're natural born, immigrants as well that come here the legal way and they become citizens, we are bound to listen to the laws of the land and act accordingly. And politicians, every one, they swear an oath to do that too. Well, I want to tell you, there's at least 140 federal immigration laws. And they're not all 50, 140, 150. They're not all saying, yeah, it's legal to come in. It's not about that. It's about a process that requires all illegals that come in to go through this process, and they have to adhere to the legal process to even come in here. Our law enforcement people are obligated, every one of them swore an oath, they're obligated to enforce every one of those laws. And it doesn't matter if there were 250, 500 of them. They're supposed to enforce each and every one. Now, I, I got to be honest with you. In this administration... Joe Biden, I don't, I, I can't even imagine how many of the laws he has broken how many times. And because he is having his people, Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, head of Homeland Security, he's in, he's the Secretary of Homeland Security. He sits at the table in the White House as a U.S. secretary, sits around the table with other like-minded people or, or people that are over other areas, and every one of them are supposed to enforce the laws, and almost every one of them in the Biden administration are taking the lead 
from the CEO, which is President Joe Biden, and they're not doing their jobs. Unless and until whoever is at the top enforces all the rules, all the laws for everything in this nation, and even in a company, a private sector, it works basically the same way. Whoever is at the top is responsible for telling the people that work there exactly what to do and how to do it and then making sure every one of them does what they're supposed to do. Unless and until that happens in the United States, we are going to continue to see these same problems roll on and on and on. And there's no way around that, folks. There's no way around it. When you sow a seed, a seed of lawlessness, what happens? People break the laws. Wow. I'm sorry for the glitch at the beginning of the show today. I'm glad you stayed and hung around. We'll be back on Monday. We'll still be in Israel, and we'll have some new stuff for you. Hey, don't forget bullet points tomorrow at truthnewsnet.org. We'll see ya.
Just try.